Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Alliance Church in Lexington, Kentucky. The sermon you're about to hear, Moses, a hand on the throne of heaven, was preached by our lead pastor, Paul Smith, on Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. It was recorded on Sunday, January 21st, 2024, and is part of our series, When a Church Prays. Good to see you and impressed to see you on this cold day. Wow. And so, but um, we receive what the Lord gives. Hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, go to the Old Testament book of Exodus, the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 17. And I don't know if First Alliance is your home church, but make sure you have a church that teaches and preaches the scriptures faithfully. And welcome you, those of you who are joining us online, or those possibly in overflow. Great to have you with us this morning. And we focus on prayer in um, the month of January. And tomorrow night, we do a thing called Vertical. We've been doing it for many years. It's where the church gathers from 6.45 to 7.45 to pray, and uh, one of the things we'll be focusing on tomorrow night is we've been looking at Steve Seaman's book, Follow the Healer, how Jesus heals in his church and how a church can be part of that. We'll be looking at the five ways that Jesus heals tomorrow night, and then we'll kind of be praying that through as communities and individuals. So it's just been very well received a couple, a couple weeks ago when we looked at it, and it's just something that I believe that God's growing in the life of our church. So that's tomorrow night from 6.45 to 7.45, but continue to keep First Alliance uh, in your prayers. And so um, but Exodus chapter 17, we'll be looking at verse 8, as we can, starting in verse 8 to the end of the chapter as we continue in our series on when Jesus prays. So you ready? Yes. I haven't preached in two weeks. I'm so ready. I mean, I am so ready. And so, uh, <coughs> sorry, that was rude. Sorry. So, hey, let me pray, and then we'll get into the, get into the text. Savior, we come. We ask for bread. And we ask for water for our thirsty souls. We need grace one more time. As we prayed for service, if many gather and you are not experienced amongst your people... I don't know if we fulfilled your purpose of gathering. We open your scriptures to hear about you, to treasure you. But Holy Spirit, you must touch our hearts. You must quicken our hearts. This is a spiritual work by the Spirit, and we ask for that. Heal the sick, bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted this morning. Pray for yourself that you would receive and respond in faith that which the Lord wants you to receive and respond to. Pray for me that I would only communicate that which the Spirit desires to communicate. Father, work in spite of the many faults and failings of your servant. And once again, Holy Spirit, teach us what we do not know. Christ, heal in us the wounds that we have that no one sees. And Father, produce in us that which we cannot produce in ourselves, which is the character and the nature of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
And the church said together, amen. When a church prays, um, and we're looking at prayer in the life of a church, a local church is not just a gathering of people that do religious things. Jesus' vision of a New Testament church is a gathering of his children that come together and experience the presence of God by his spirits amongst them. They experience the love of God together with the people of God and therefore go out and fulfill the purposes of God in the world, giving away this love that they themselves have experienced. We can't do this as a congregation and experience this as a congregation and you as an individual unless we pray. You see, Jesus' vision is not just gathering but being a community that is extending the kingdom of God in the world. And he said, without me, you can only accomplish a little bit. Is that right? No, he said, without me, you can accomplish what? Nothing. You're absolutely dependent upon me for the role I've given you in this world. So abide in me and you will produce much fruit. So for us to be the people of God and fulfill the purposes of God, we must pray, each one of us. Now, there's different gifts and abilities amongst us this morning. We know that. Some can sing and some can teach and some can welcome well. And we all have different gifts, but there's one thing that all of us can do, and it's the most important thing that we must do, and that's what? Pray. Because when we pray, God moves. And you don't graduate to pray. If you're here this morning, you're welcome to pray because God loves the prayers of his people. There's a statement that I use often that when we find our why, we find our way. So in finding our way with prayer, God is leading us to why he's asked us to pray. Dan McPherson started off this series with great saying, God asks us to pray so we can know God better. Last week, Steve Seaman says, God asks us to pray and have a posture of prayer because our walls of our lives relationally are broken down. And when we pray, God begins to move. But today and next week, um, David Thomas will be speaking and he'll be wrapping up this series. So be prayed, prayed in anticipation for that. But this week, what's on my heart is why pray is simply this. Our prayers to God in heaven can change circumstances on earth. I truly believe that, that our prayers to a God in heaven can change circumstances on earth. And this makes us look differently at those unwanted and undesirable circumstances that we have as the children of God. We often can think that we are just to endure them and put up with them or somehow figure them out. But when those come our way, because our God in heaven can change circumstances on earth, all of a sudden we realize that those circumstances are not just given to us randomly. Because those are opportunities for God to put his glory on display, these unwanted and undesirable circumstances, relationally, occupationally, circumstantially, are circumstances that we must be good stewards of them in our lives, for those are opportunities for God to be seen. You see, we are called not to just be good stewards of what God has given us materially, We are called to be good stewards of what God brings to our life circumstantially. And when this life is over and our lives before God is seen in heaven, there will be circumstances where you called upon the power of God, called upon the love of God, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, because in that circumstance, you called upon me 
And through you, I showed the world great and mighty things. I truly believe that our prayers to our God in heaven can change circumstances on earth. Now, it doesn't always change the circumstances. Sometimes he changes us in the circumstance. Three times the apostle Paul said, take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. No matter if it's outside or inside, our prayers move the hand of God in our lives. So this has been my prayer. God, I long not only to be faithful in prayer, but for your glory to see the fruit of prayer among us. And if we're faithful in prayer, it's because God has drawn us to a place of faithfulness in prayer. But imagine if a community and individuals and lives, if that be dramatic, like the wind blowing through or just a gentle whisper, where we're seeing over and over, God did that, God did that, God did that. And God longs to have those stories amongst his people. Now, to kind of wrap our minds and hearts around this, to where we see not just faithfulness in prayer, but fruit of prayer, God acting, um, I want to go look at Moses, specifically Moses and the, acts and the events of Exodus 17, simply put, a hand on heaven's throne, a hand on heaven's throne. And this is the events of Moses and his battle with the Amalekites when he had Ben and Aaron hold his hands up. And this is one of my favorite paintings of Aaron. I've got a lot of paintings of Moses, and normally paintings of Moses, they look like, he looks like Charlton Heston. But this one, he doesn't, right? He looks like he's like struggling to walk home after leg day at the gym. He just, and he doesn't look that strong. But as you realize, this is exactly the way this text makes Moses, because it's not about the strength of Moses. It's about God's strength. And as the, he lifts up his hands, the nation of Israel wins the battle. And we realize that he's just not lifting up his hands randomly. It says in Exodus 17, 16, a hand, not hands, a hand on the throne of, throne of the Lord and a hand on the circumstances of earth. And you might be saying, well, I'm not Moses, but through the crosses, it says in the book of Hebrews, we can enter boldly into what? The throne of grace. And through prayer, a hand on the throne of heaven, bringing the throne of heaven and all its authority to bear on the circumstances of earth. See, Moses has much for us. As one author said this, Moses has much for us because movements are birthed when Christians encounter the presence of God, marked by the power of God, by learning to touch heaven and change outcomes on earth. We press into, the, we press into his presence in heaven and through prayer, the spiritual atmosphere, on, spiritual atmosphere on earth changes. We see what God and only God can do. You walked in here with something and you wonder, God, why and what for? And maybe he is saying today, you reach up in such desperation. I allow your hand to touch heaven's throne and allow my power through you to bring a bear on the circumstances of earth. We'll have extended time of prayer. And I desperately want my voice during that time to become quieter and his voice to become greater as you respond to him. Well, Exodus chapter 17, it says this. I'll give some commentary along the way. I'll kind of talk about some principles from the text. I'll go to the New Testament and the principles that we can draw from, and then four events from the life of Moses and how we kind of bring this into our lives, and I'll land the plane on time by God's power. Okay? It says this, the Amalekites. Now, in context, the nation of Israel is going through the, uh, the, the desert to get to the promised land. They have just experienced God providing water through the rock. 
That's an absolute miracle. Keep that in context. They're at the same place where God brought water from the rock. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Rephidim is the same place that, as I said, God provided water from the rock. This is a good picture of the Christian life. Water from the rock is God's provision. The Amalekites attack. Now they need God's protection. The water from the rock is God's blessing. Now they're in a spiritual battle. It's both circumstances in the Christian life. Blessing, battle, provision, the need for protection. That's what we experience in this life. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of the men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands, held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they, they took stones and put it under him, and he, sat, and he sat on it. And Aaron held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So his hands remained steady. We need help from other individuals in this earth, in this life. Joshua overcame the Amalekites with the, with the army with the sword. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Write on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out of the memory the Amalekites remember under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the Lord is my banner. Now a banner is lifted up for others to see. And he says, it's the Lord I want others to see. And whatever this difficulty, struggle, when God moves, what's lifted up in your life is the Lord. Others see God's presence, God's power. That's why he'll bring those in those, in those events into your life. And it says in verse 15, Moses built an altar and call, called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord, uh, Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Couple things. The Amalekites. The Amalekites, we don't know much about them. And they seemingly just attacked the nation of Israelites out of nowhere. Why would they do this? Know this, the Amalekites were a people bent on the destruction of others. They loved death. They loved destruction. They weren't farmers. They weren't um, construction workers. They weren't artists or musicians. They got up looking for someone to devour and destroy. Sounds like someone in your life. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual enemy called Satan who loves the destruction and to ruin the joy of the relationships of God's children. He loves to steal, kill, and destroy. He never takes a day off, nor does he take a vacation off. And often he attacks after times of great blessing. Water from a rock who's right behind the attack of the enemy. We cannot think that this is something that we can be casual about. God has provided for us. And so he says, um, know this, is that this battle that you're experiencing, it's more than just what you can see and more than what you can just feel. We see this in Moses as he lifts his hands up. All of a sudden his hands are raised up all of a sudden, you begin to see the battle begins to change. And that makes no sense. 
If it's just the material and the physical, but it's not. We see this. The physical realities of earth are affected by the spiritual realities of the heavenlies. What goes on in our earth is affected by what's going on in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. Paul said this in the book of Ephesians. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but a prince against principalities and the powers of this air. That's why we pray. It brings us victory in the, spirit, in the physical realm because it's God's power released in the spiritual realm. Now, one of the things to know is that when Moses has his hands up, they begin to drop. So you realize that Moses' strength is not the key to this victory, nor is it Joshua's military skill. You see, this battle was won, by the, not, was won not by the strength of Moses or the skill of Joshua, but by God's power. And so with you, so with us. In fact, one writer said this, Aaron and her were probably like talking about Moses Man, I didn't think the guy was going to make it. And he wants to let the nation of Israel, it's not Moses' strength. It's not Joshua's strength. It's not any of us' strength, if that's proper grammar, probably not. It's God's power because it's God's battle. You see, why did he choose Joshua? He chose Joshua not because he was a great soldier. He was a bricklayer. He has no military experience. But the word Joshua means Jehovah rescues. And that's what he will want us to see, that he rescues over and over and over and over, and he loves to rescue and save his children. Now, it says at the very end that the prayers, that one of the things the Amalekites, God's hand will be against them for generation upon generation. And it's just a different era back then, but it's something that can draw principles to us. And it's this prayers offered today can bring peace for generations to come. I have my mother's um, mom, my grandmother, Nana, as we called her, offered prayers that I know she offered up that are still affecting my life today. She, in her room, with a blanket over her legs, prayed and had one hand on heaven, and she is affecting the circumstances on earth. For that is why we pray, and it's available to all of us. So how does Moses connect with the new covenant children of God? I mean, us. How does it connect with us? Well, Jesus, when he comes, when Jesus comes, he not only just communicates, but he demonstrates the power of God in his ministry. And gee, we often think that Jesus did the miracles that we heard about because he was God walking on this earth. Yes, but it says in the book of Philippians that he emptied himself of all his omnis, his omniscience and his omnipowerful. He emptied himself of all of those. And he did his miracles in this life through his spirit-filled humanity. And what he had without measure, the spirit, we have in measure. And that's how he did his miracles amongst us. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is nothing more than the undoing of all that sin did, has done, and is doing in the world. It's making all the wrongs right. And it's making all the wrongs right by proclaiming the kingdom of God, which is nothing more than the rule of reign of God on the men, on the hearts of men and women, ordering their hearts properly so they love God first and love others. And in doing so, restoring the joy which God intended for his creation. 
That's what Jesus walked this earth. You see, everybody in their mind has an idea of what's gone wrong with the world and how it can be made right. And Jesus said what's gone wrong with the world is very simple. You were separated from your creator, and in doing so, you became self-sovereign. And because of that, the world's gone wrong. And we often think, well, if we get it politically right, no abuse of power is the fruit of a deeper root. Well, if we get it materially right, no greed is the root, uh, sorry, is the fruit of a deeper root. The root is we were separated from God. And Jesus, through the cross, reconnects us with our God. And the kingdom, sorry, the gospel is not just die and go to heaven. The gospel is now I can know the joy of the kingship of Jesus over my life and know how, life, how God created me to live. So that's the work of Jesus. But he, then he says, um, he gives his spirit to the church. And the church goes out into the world in the book of Acts, and God sends the very same spirit that was in Jesus to his church, and they move out in the world. Have you ever read in the book of Acts, chapter 1, Luke, who, who wrote the book of Acts, says, Theophilus, this is what I want you to know. about In my former book, as it comes up there, in my former book, Theophilus, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he came, was taken up to heaven. Jesus began to do and teach. Why doesn't it say all that Jesus began and finished? Why? Because Jesus hadn't finished. He's not finished. Jesus is still doing his work in the world. How is he doing his work in the world? Through who? Us. And how Jesus did his work on this earth, he longs for his church now to do his work here. He's still working amongst us through his spirit. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy about how to pastor He said, first of all, Timothy, this is what I want you to do. I urge, first of all, prayers with intercession and thanksgiving. And I want, therefore, I want men and women everywhere lifting up holy hands, just like Moses lifted up hands to God, which released the power of God amongst his people. We lift up holy hands to God. James says this about prayer. He says, prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective Elijah prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't rain. I wish he'd pray for warmth. And so, and you can read it there. Basically, God used powerfully the prayers of an ordinary person. And the book of Ephesians, the Ephesians, we know the book of Ephesians. That's a lot. I'll paraphrase it here in just a little bit. We know that in the book of Ephesians, it says, put on the full armor of God. There's a spiritual battle that we are in that we, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual battle going on that we must engage in. And Paul says in the book of, book of Ephesians, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope which you were called, the riches of your glorious inheritance to all of his people, people the incomparable great power for all who believe. Wow, those are big words. Why does he pray for them to know power? He didn't want them just to gather, but I want you to know the power of God amongst your midst. Why? Well, scholars say that there's no other context of a church in the New Testament that's more like our context today than the book of Ephesians and the church at Ephesus. And here's why. The church at Ephesus, there were many gods, many gods. And the way you kept unity was all the gods are the same. No one's like the best top God. Well, we know that's not true. We know it's not true. So what was going to make Jesus stand out in a polytheistic culture, in a syncretistic culture? This is what I know. 
in a pluralistic, syncretistic society where all deities are considered equal, an unequal, unequal display of the power of Jesus will convince people of the supremacy of Jesus. When he shows up and puts his glory on display, it makes the world take notice. And they say, your God is true God. We see that over and over and over. That's why we ask a hand on the throne of heaven and one hand on the circumstances of earth. So how can this happen very quickly? What can we learn from Moses? Well, the first thing event, I think, in the life of Moses that is transferable to us is when Moses meets God at the burning bush. It's kind of the signature time when he meets his creator. And when he meets God in this burning bush, one of the things about Moses, it says he hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. When you hide your face, it's an expression of shame. And why wouldn't he? He's meeting a holy God and he's a murderer. I'm ashamed. At the end of Moses' life, it says the Lord would speak to Moses as someone face to face as a friend, better rendering mouth to mouth. Somewhere along the journey, Moses dealt with the shame issues of his life. And that's where God meets us. God, why? Because God is not just content with fulfilling his purposes through you, but you knowing his love deeply within you. And when you bring those shame issues, things that you'd rather hide and not have part of your life and bring him, bring it to him, he says, I will transform them. And those will become sacred in your life to where you met my love deeply. You know, in my times with God in the morning, my father he never calls me pastor. He never says, I'm so glad that you're here, pastor. He doesn't. Pastoring is a temporal responsibility. And he will not relate to me in my temporal responsibility, nor will he relate to you. He will only relate to me in my eternal, blood-bought, grace-given identity as his child of God. And when I come to him and he says, Paul, I'm so glad you're here. Let's talk. I will want to bring him all of my performance things. He says, no, 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 no. And I say, oh, I know what you want to talk about. Here. It's the thing that I'd rather keep hidden from him. And he says, I can transform that. I can change that. And I'm changed by his love and his mercy and those things that I'd rather keep hidden, I can bring to the holy of holies, and I'm growing to trust his love a little bit more every day. Those things of shame can become sacred. Secondly, by grace, um, you know the staff? It seems like Moses always has the staff. What's up with the staff? He took the staff of God. Well, Moses was trained in the best schools of Egypt, but those schools of Egypt are of no good now. In his staff, he was an ordinary shepherd. And this is what we know is that God can use the ordinary. You see, when it comes to your life of prayer, who you are, offer it to him, our God can use it. You don't need to become somebody else. Just bring you and your prayers, young or old. Moses, in the next chapters, in chapters 19 and 20, he goes up to God on Mount Sinai. 
And he learns, gets the Ten Commandments and all the things for the nation of Israel. And we see in the New Testament, Jesus, as he went out often and met with the Father early or early in the morning. And when he taught us to pray, he said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door to your Father who's unseen, and your Father will reward you. And the greatest reward is his presence. To know God and his ways um, and wants, we must spend time with him. We have to, you can't just have this. You've got to actually seek God. And if it's simple as God, as I come, I come and I want to meet you. There's the last event is in Exodus 33, where the nation of Israel has blown it. They've built this false calf. It's not good. And God goes, Moses goes up to the mountain to plead for his people. And God says, all right, I'm done I'm out. I'll lead you to the promised land, but my presence will not go with with you. So you're going to have all of the blessing, but you're not going to have me. And Moses says, no, 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 no. That's exactly how he said it. No, 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 no. What good is the blessing if we don't have you? We don't want that because what makes us distinct is not blessing, but you. And so he says, do not send us up here, but show us your glory. I want to know your glory, who you are, your greatness. And he says, I am a good and compassionate God. And his glory passes in front of of him. You see, the greatest gift that God can give is the gift of his presence. Then and now. And when you and I start having prayers, rather than just God fix it, but God show us your glory, grant us your presence, there's a deeper reservoir to where the people of God can know the presence of God. Whenever you preach on Moses, you've got to run to Jesus as fast as possible, fast as possible. Well, in this event in Exodus 33, Moses requested, God, I want to see your face, your face. I want to see you. Moses, God says to Moses, no one can see my face and live. But you know, in the last chapter of the Bible, where John is describing the experience of us in the new heaven and the new earth that is coming about by the grace of Jesus, he has all these great experiences, all giving glory to Jesus. And it says this in Revelations 22, there will no longer be any curse, no cancer, no migraines, no death. No cold. I don't know. No, no, no. No, just no more curse. And the throne of God, there will be the lamb and in the city and the servants will serve him. And they will see his face. What Moses could not see, we will see because of the grace of Jesus. And we will be finally be children that see the face of the father And every question and desire and longing of our heart at that moment will be fully realized because we know our creator. Praise Jesus. Why do we pray? Our prayers to our God in heaven can change the circumstances on earth. I pray that you believe that. What is circumstances he's saying, pray to me? I want to show the world great and mighty things. I've had God bring healing, provision, and provide a way. And he'll do the same for you. And God, we long not only to be faithful in prayer, but for your glory to be seen in the fruit of prayer.
We're going to have two worship songs at the end, and then Heather will come and close. But during this time, my voice must become less. His must become greater. You respond either in your seat or at this altar. Say, I want to I lift this up to you. If you come and you'd like for me to pray with you, I would love to pray with you for God's provision and greater measure of the spirit of your life. Respond to your creator who loves you. Let me pray, and then after I pray, we will stand together and worship. Jesus, we treasure you. We don't deserve this. It is all by grace. May it be so for the glory of the Father and the glory of his name. And the church said together, amen. Thanks for listening. Here at First Alliance Church, our mission is to passionately pursue God, extend life-changing hope, and disciple people to be spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. To learn more about our church or to hear other sermons like this one, visit us at facleax.com.